All right, well, good morning. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny, I was over, I was over at, at Hope Church and uh, Pastor Will was there with, with his baby and like he's up there reading scriptures and doing announcements holding Jude and like went to do one and he had Jude on the floor on a blanket and you know, like, and I'm sitting there thinking, we, we pastors are weird. Like we do some, some weird stuff, right, right? Like, I'm just thinking through like everything that's this past week has been and, and all the stuff they're trying to do to get to this point and it's just been like pastoring is a strange vocation. Uh, it's a different way of moving through the world and um, are you guys, have you heard of the Barna group? Are you familiar with like Barna studies? Have you heard of them? Uh, they released a report a couple months back that kind of s- sent shockwaves through the church leadership community um, kind of in the U.S., they, they re- released a report that said in the past year, 38% of pastors had given serious thought to leaving the ministry, not changing churches, uh, not taking a different role, but leaving the ministry. More than one out of three had decided, uh, had given serious thought. Maybe they didn't leave, maybe they stayed for a variety of reasons, but one out of three um, seriously considered leaving the ministry in the last year. Um, it's a strange, I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into that. Um, but it's a strange way, pastoring is a strange way of existing in the world. Um, when I was in high school, you know, you get the question, what do you want to do for a living? In college, what do you want to do for a living? My answer was not, was not pastoring. Like, it wasn't something that I grew up, you know, you go to, to Nazarene uh, functions and you, you hear pastors, oh, I'm a fourth generation, like, my grandparents were pastors and my parents were pastors and my, my great-great-grandparents were pastors. Like, that's not my story. Um, I grew up in a, a church family, but I didn't grow up knowing that I wanted to be a pastor. I didn't grow up knowing like this is the trajectory I was going. Um, In fact, I had a lot of other things I thought I was gonna be doing. Um, And I've come to the conclusion that like pastoring is is a lot like being a a flathead screwdriver when everything is a Phillips screwdriver, Phillips screw. Like you can make it work, but it doesn't quite fit in with everything else that's going on. Like, you know, um, it's just a weird way of of existing. And, like I said, I didn't grow up wanting to be a pastor, so I didn't put a lot of energy into it as a, as a young child. Like, I was a good, good church boy, um, but I wasn't, like, studying what my pastor did behind the, behind the scenes, you know. Uh, the church I grew up in, our senior pastor was bivocational. He worked 40-plus hours a week at um, a Caterpillar Manufacturing. They made, like, bulldozers and tractors and that type of stuff. Um, he worked there full-time and was bivocational at the church. And so when I... Even though I was close to Pastor Ray, I didn't know kind of what a traditional pastor would do. You know, the old running joke, um, when you're not working on Sunday, you know, what do you do? What does a pastor do Monday through Saturday? And uh, then from there, like my next like formative church experience was at a large, large church. And I had two campuses. And I uh, was a district licensed, uh, up and coming uh, pastor, you know, learning the ministry side of things. When those two churches were going through a process of becoming two separate churches, like the one became two, and for about half of my time there as a district licensed uh, minister, we didn't have a senior pastor, and so I, I didn't. I say all that to say this: like I didn't have a mentor that said, "Here's what what you do on a Tuesday at two o'clock in the afternoon as a pastor." Um, I knew that I loved scripture. I loved the church. Uh, but there were some, some things that I just didn't know when I became, it's like taking a job without ever reading the job description, you know what I mean? Um, and so when I first started as senior pastor, 
um, I realized immediately that uh, I didn't have enough tools in my toolbox. And so I've leaned really hard into this lifelong learning thing, right? Um, if you see me out in public, like at the grocery store, wherever, like you'll probably see I've got headphones in. Um, that's not me trying to block out the world. I'm listening to podcasts or audiobooks. Like I'm constantly trying to learn more about how to be a, a better pastor and what it means to be a pastor in our culture today. Um, and so like there's a lot of different things that a young pastor, um, i consider myself young as long as you guys will let me get away with it, um, kind of wrestles with. You know, when I first transitioned from ministry student into minister, uh, the first thing you run into is unspoken expectations. Things that were, will never show up in a job description. And some of those are healthy. Like, this is just what pastors do, and some of them aren't so healthy, and that's a whole other story. Um, then there's the element of church management. Like, you don't ever learn, like, you're, you know, studying the Bible and, and ministry uh, prep, you know, at college, seminary, whatever. And they don't spend a whole lot of time teaching you how to manage a, an organization that could be complex and dynamic and all that. Uh, the relational element, uh, many of you know I am introverted. Uh, my, my natural tendency is to have a small group of friends. Um, and so the relational element for a young pastor trying to figure out how to navigate a church, even a small church, is a lot more relationships than what I would end up with by default. Um, and then again, some of those unexpected expectations, unspoken expectations. And then as a young pastor, just learning to navigate church politics, uh, unhealthy church cultures, um, all those types of things, right? Like there's, when you go to a church, it's not a clean slate. There's, there's stuff there before you even get there. And so learning all those types of things. And so like I said, I became a lifelong student because I wanted to be good at this. Um, and so I've, I've asked pastors, I've gone to conferences, I've read books, all this stuff, trying to constantly put more tools in my toolbox. But there's one thing that I have really struggled with to find the resources on. Um, when you talk to other pastors, when you, when you do Google online, whatever it might be, um, and that is the pastor's schedule. Uh, again, what does a pastor do Monday through Saturday? What, what is kind of peek behind the curtain? What do you, what's going on when they're, and uh, if you Google, if you look for resources, um, especially when it comes to Sabbath keeping. If you ever want to make a pastor nervous, go ask them what their, how their Sabbath has been. <laughs> if you ever want to like give a pastor anxiety, just ask them about their Sabbath. Like, so the next time you see Pastor Will, ask him how his, his Sabbath keeping practices have been. Um, because uh, we're not great at it. Um, and I had a professor in college that really tried to drive home the point that Sabbath isn't the idea that we're going to rest so that we can work hard again, right? It's not, well, the tank is empty, so you need to stop to fill it up so that you can go back and be back to the grind and, and be that. There's a different motivation behind keeping a Sabbath. And for those who don't know, Sabbath comes from the idea that God created the world in six days and on the seventh day God rested. And then when God's people were slaves in Egypt, they were working around the clock seven days a week, making bricks, right? They were slaves, they worked for other people. And when God freed them, you know, Charlton Heston shows up, says, let's my people go. And they go through the, the river, the Red Sea, and they get to the other side. And now they're like, okay, now what? God shows up and says, here's how you're gonna live as my people. 
There are 10 commandments, 10 laws to help you understand what it means to be God's chosen people. And one of those is to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. In Egypt, you work seven days a week, but as God's children, you work six. You have one day, you're going to rest. It's grace. It's mercy. Um, And that day is not intended to make you a better worker the other days. There's a holy divine purpose for setting apart that day. Um, Sabbath is about who God is, what God's kingdom is like. It's about how we're called to live as children of God. And so without a proper understanding of Sabbath, it can just get corrupted. It can just be pulled into the kingdoms of, of, of the world, including our own kingdom. Like it can become a tool that we use for our own desires, worldly desires, whatever. Um, It can be a tool to build other kingdoms. And so our scripture today comes from John chapter 12, verses one through eight. I've been talking a lot about Sabbath, and as we read through this in a moment, you will realize that nowhere in the scripture is Sabbath mentioned. This is not gonna be your traditional, um, here's three reasons why you should, should keep Sabbath type of scripture text, right? In fact, uh, you'll probably read this and be more confused that I've connected this with Sabbath, but I promise if you stick with me, we will get there because it's a really important, really important message that comes together at the end. But uh, again, John chapter 12, verses one through eight. It's six days before the Passover, so this is right before all the Holy Week things start happening, right? Right before Good Friday, right? Like this is just outside of Easter, okay? This is right before that. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Uh, Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, wondrous spirit, gather our minds so that they may be one with you. Open our ears that we may hear your word. Soften our hearts that they may receive your wisdom. Speak to us, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. So as we read through this John chapter 12 scripture, there's a lot of different things going on here. And there's a couple different ways we could, we could look at this story today. Um, there's some good sermons that I'm just not going to preach today, but there, there's some good ones in there. Uh, Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, is, is reclining at the table with Jesus. There's a really good message about those that have been called to new life continue to fellowship with Jesus, right? Like you've been invited to new life and that new life involves communion, community with Jesus. Like that's a really great sermon there. I've made a note of it for future days. Maybe we'll come back to that one. But there's a great message there about when you're called to new life, you spend time with Jesus. Um, 
there's, you know, Martha was serving the meal. This kind of resembles the Luke 10 story. Uh, Luke 10 where Mary and Martha took different postures. Jesus was in the house teaching, you know, one was sitting at his feet listening, being a student. The other was busy trying to prepare and take care of things the way that she felt like things were supposed to be taken care of, right? Like we could easily draw on that old, that old narrative here. You know, Martha's working. Um, the expensive perfume, we could talk about why, why, why you're pouring out perfume that was dedicated for burial um, and the fact that it filled the whole house and why it was so expensive and how Mary got it and like we could explore a lot of those things. Um, then there's, I, I, the Gospel of John really doesn't like Judas, and so <laughs> here we see a couple times just kind of inserted into the story, just like Judas is an awful guy, right? We could have looked at that. Uh, you know, there's twice in here, he's like, oh, he, this guy who will later betray Jesus, and then, you know, this guy who was a thief who took money, like, they, we could focus just on how bad of a person Judas was, uh, Jesus foreshadows his death and he talks about going, going to the, for his burial so this could be a, a precursor getting ready for the crucifixion, getting ready for resurrection. It could be a, a preparation type of thing. It could be a uh, take up your cross and follow me type of thing. Like we could, we could do a whole lot that Jesus foreshadowing his death. Uh, we could also talk about the obligation of Jesus' followers. Like what is their obligation to the poor? Um, Jesus seems to, in various points in time, tell his, his followers that they will be judged, uh, separated into sheep and goats based off of what they did with those who had needs. He tells them that those who are hungry, if you take care of them, it's the same as serving him, right? So it seems like, a, and sometimes he's really emphasizing, like, as the church, we're supposed to take care of those in need, but then here he's like, well, you always have the poor, so, like, worship me instead, like, maybe try and reconcile some of that or what's going on here, um, but we could talk about the obligation of the church to take care of the poor. <laughs> but before we dig any deeper, I think it's important to understand a little bit of the context here about like what Judas, what his role was here, kind of how he ended up with the, the purse strings of Jesus' ministry. Um, Jesus' ministry was funded by people who just gave to it. Uh, so kind of in the same way that our church runs based off of people giving offerings and tithes, uh, Jesus' ministry was funded by people just giving to him. And a lot of the women in the Gospels that we meet are, are women who were either were widows or um, you know, the women that were in charge of households that financially supported the ministry of Jesus and his followers. And that includes like food and hospitality, lodging, that type of stuff, but also you know, taking care of some of the people that they're trying to minister to. You don't see a whole lot of detail about what Jesus' money was spent on, but um, we know that Judas was the one that was in charge of all those funds that came in to support the ministry and the activity, the mission, right? Without those funds, they wouldn't have been able to do the different things that they were doing. Uh, these resources were meant to provide for the disciples and those who were being ministered to. Now, Mary had this expensive perfume, and she didn't put it with everybody else's money in the treasury. It wasn't in the general fund. It was a designated gift, right? <laughs> Off to the side. Um, and it was a really expensive uh, resource. It was a really expensive perfume. And not only did she keep it separate from the rest of the funds, but according to Judas, <laughs> she, 
she kind of wasted it on Jesus, you know, quote unquote, wasted it on Jesus. There's this group of followers, Jesus followers, that are traveling from place to place. They're doing things. They're, they're you know, going from city to city, village to village, performing miracles, healing, preaching, teaching, and they need food. They need all those types of things, right? These funds were there to do that work. That's why they had funds. And, and like I said, Judas was in charge of receiving and dispersing those funds. And Judas gets upset when he sees Mary use some of those funds to worship Jesus. Because Mary knew that all of the things that they were doing, everything that was happening, all their work, all their activities, all of the things on their to-do list, all their agenda items, the way that they filled their calendar, um, all those things were connected to Jesus. That without Jesus, they weren't doing those things. Those were in response to who Jesus was and what Jesus was doing, right? Jesus is king. Jesus is Messiah. He is savior. And as such, we respond by doing these, participating in these missions, these ministries that Jesus is doing, right? Their lives, their activities, their, their ministry work was connected to Jesus and his commands. It wasn't their agenda, it was Jesus's agenda. But because she knew that Jesus was king, he was Messiah, he was savior, she knew that Jesus was worthy of worship. All that is good, everything that, all the miracles, all the blessings, everything that they saw that was going on that was good was because Jesus was there in their midst. He was the one leading them to do that. And so Mary disengages in this moment. She steps away from the busyness, the activities of the ministry. She steps away from the mission for a moment and the work in order to worship Jesus, to sit at his feet and to pour out this expensive perfume, these, this incredible resource to serve and attend to Jesus, she worshiped him. In this moment where they were all together enjoying a meal, they had you know, shared some stuff. Lazarus had, you know, <laughs> you can imagine the, the stories around the table when you have Lazarus there. Hey, Jesus, remember that time I died? Like there could be some really interesting stories going on. And they're just sitting around and Mary shows up and just worships Jesus. They said that the, this dinner was this meal was in order to celebrate, to honor him. And so Mary shows up and just says, let me pour out this, this perfume to worship and honor Jesus. Now who would get upset about worshiping Jesus? As a pastor, I think that's, that's a silly thing. Right? If somebody's worshiping, somebody said, oh, I'm, I'm spending time with Jesus, like that's something to celebrate. So who would get upset about worshiping Jesus? Well, Judas did. He got upset with what Mary was up to. He did. He called it a waste. He's, he says, this is a year's worth of wages. And Mary wasted it on Jesus. Now, Scripture tells us that his motives are bad. Like I said, the author of the Gospel of John was obviously not a, a, a Judas fan. He says his motives were bad. He has his own agenda. He has his own desires. He has his own goal. And Mary's worship reveals that while Judas is a disciple of Jesus, that he's going from place to place with Jesus, while he's participating in all the activities and the busyness of the ministry of Jesus, while he's doing all of those things, and he kind of looks like he's a disciple, he actually has his own agenda. He actually has his own reason for doing the things that he's doing. And Mary's worship reveals that. 
right? Because in that moment where she's worshiping, Judas's mind goes to what his goal was. It reveals his ambitions. Um, Mary acknowledges that everything they are doing as Jesus followers is in faithful obedience to this Jesus who is worthy of worship, is revealing God's presence with them. So she stops and she worships him. And by doing so, she exposes Judas's motivations. Not deliberately. I don't think she did this like, oh, I'm going to call out Judas or something like that. Um, but he's not following Jesus as an act of worship. He's doing all the churchy things. But when push comes to shove, he's concerned about his mission, his goal, his agenda, rather than doing this in response and worship of Jesus. He's not following Jesus as an act of worship, he's following Jesus as a means to his own ends. Right? He's got his own goals. And so for most of the time, it looks like Judas and, and Mary and Lazarus and Martha and all these other disciples, they're all on the same team, they're all working towards the same goal. They're doing these activities that Jesus has called them to do, but when they stop, when the activities stop, when there's nothing more to be done, when, when Jesus is resting and reclining and sharing in a meal, when these activities stop, Jesus exposes Judas's motives because he sees worshiping Jesus as a waste of resources. This expensive perfume is a year's worth of wages and we just poured it on Jesus' feet. So Mary declares with her behavior that this is all about Jesus. When she works, it's about Jesus. When she stops, it's about Jesus. And how she, she pours out perfume, it's because of who Jesus is. And Judas reacts the way that he did because for him, it was about money. It was about resources. It was about his goals and his agenda. The title for this week's sermon is called Jesus or a Year's Wage. Judas was confronted with what would he rather have. Jesus or a year's wage. And he was upset because he chose a year's wage. You know, I hadn't, it wasn't in my sermon notes, but I was sitting over at, at Hope Church and they, they read the same scriptures that we do. We're following the lectionary and I'm sitting there listening to Pastor Will read uh, from Philippians 3 um, and hearing Paul saying that like everything else I'm doing, everything else I've accomplished is garbage. Like I just, it's all, counted all as loss. All I want is to be included in the life of Jesus, to be near him, to be with him. Like, and Judas, his confession is the exact opposite. I have the opportunity to be with Jesus. He's called me by name. He's gathered me into his group, and I am really just concerned about how much money is in the, in the purse. Jesus, or a year's wage. Judas was upset because he wanted a year's wage. And we know that Judas had bad intentions, and we know he's a bad guy, so we could just write him off and be like, oh, He's a bad dude. Bad things are going to happen to him. This is nice and tidy. You know, on with, on with that. This has nothing to do with me. But let's take a moment and imagine that he truly was concerned about helping the poor. Let's use our imagination for a moment and pretend like he was interested in helping the poor. And we can do that because that's how Jesus responds to him. Jesus doesn't call him out for stealing in this moment. He doesn't call him out for embezzling from the church uh, checkbook. He calls him out, not because he's a bad guy, but he responds to Judas along the lines of ministering to the poor. He doesn't tell his followers not to help the poor or that helping the poor isn't important. That's not his response. So Judas says, 
we could have used this perfume, sold it, and, and helped the poor for a whole year, and Jesus doesn't tell his disciples not to worry about the poor. It's, I've, I've heard sermons preached along that line. I've read stuff that, that said that, like, that, that this somehow is like a competition between Jesus and poor for our attention as the church, and that's not what's going on here. It's not an either or. It kind of feels that way, but it's not. Because we see in this moment, Jesus' response was that he says that this perfume was always intended to be used the way that Mary used it. It already was allocated for a purpose in God's story. It was already uh, allocated to be used for Jesus upon his burial. It was already dedicated to a specific task, set aside with purpose. And so this wasn't a competition between the poor and Jesus. This was a, a, a clarification of understanding of what resources were allocated to be used for. So Jesus rebukes Judas, not by saying, you know, well, just take care of me, it's all about me. But he says, no, we have a whole purse full of money for the poor. But some of the resources that you have have been allocated, dedicated for worshiping God. For uh, paying attention to the Jesus that's right there in our midst. Some of these resources were always intended to be used to serve and to worship Jesus. Right? So what is it called when God gives us something? Resources, time, attention, uh, gifts, abilities, money. What's it called when we take the things that God has given us in order to worship him with and we use it to worship or give attention to something else? It's idolatry, right? When the things that God has given us, our, our talents, our gifts, our resources, and God has put into our lives and we use it to follow somebody else. We use it to worship somebody else. We use it for an agenda that's not following God. That's, the Bible calls that idolatry. And so what we've, what we've done here by reading the story is realize that Mary stopping, stopping to worship Jesus, to pour out the perfume, reveals Judas's idolatry. He was serving another master. He was serving another mission. He was serving another agenda. Because in, in all the busyness, that was hard to see. It looked like he was part of the team. It looked like he was, you know, had everything going on, that he was a trusted even leader in this group. But he couldn't worship Jesus. When it came to time to stop, to give credit, to give honor, to give glory to Jesus, that's where Judas couldn't do it. He, he could do the work all day. He could travel from village to village. He could, he could preach and handle the crowds. He can do all these things. But when it came time to say, Jesus is my Lord, that's where his true Lord was revealed. What was in the purse. So stopping the activities and busyness of life to worship Jesus is only a waste for those who believe that worshiping and serving Jesus gets in the way of some other agenda. I'll say it again. When we stop the activities and busyness of life to worship Jesus, we only see that as a waste when we are trying to accomplish another mission or have a different agenda. Right? I began today's sermon by mentioning that as a pastor, Sabbath is a hard thing for pastors to engage in. Um, I did that deliberately because I'm going to share here for a few moments and I don't usually like to preach about myself. But I'm going to be a little bit transparent, a little bit vulnerable um, to help us understand what's going on here with, with Judas. Um, 
When a pastor looks at the church and all the needs of the people, taking time in the midst of the week to worship Jesus can feel like a waste of time. If I've got blank space on my calendar and I don't have my to-do list overflowing on a particular day, stopping to worship, to read, to pray, might feel even like I'm pouring out this perfume (laughs) at Jesus' feet. I mean, after all, God gave me this really valuable commodity. He called me, he gave me time, he gave me resources, he gave me a position in the church, he gave me uh, you know, this, this sense of, of responsibility, and I'm gonna sit here and do none of those things today? Right, this can be difficult because it can be hard to take time to worship, to pray, to read, to listen, to enjoy God's creation, to enter into the Sabbath, it can be difficult for a pastor whose schedule always feels full of important work. Not busy work, but important work. There's sick people, there's there's people who have needs, there's the needs in the church, like the church has things that just need to be done. Uh, I could have used that time to, to meet with people, to call people, to write letters, to minister to someone. And if I'm being completely transparent, there's usually some anxiety or there's an agenda underneath this as well, right? What will people think if I'm kayaking on the river today while somebody else is in the hospital? What what are people gonna think if I'm not working when there's stuff to be done? I take my my Sabbath on a Friday, it's on my calendar, I don't do it well, but it's difficult for me, for my wife to get up and go to work, my kids to go to school, and I know that everybody else in the world is doing their stuff, and I'm like, I'm just gonna sit here and read the Bible for a little bit today. I I don't want people to think I'm selfish or uncaring. I don't wanna be labeled as lazy or spoiled or privileged. Like, man, how many people would love to have a Friday afternoon just go kayaking on the river? Like, that's become my new favorite, obviously not in the wintertime, but um, like spending time in my little boat floating down the river. What will happen to the church if I take my hands off the wheel for a little bit? What if there's problems that need addressed and I'm, I'm not there to, to address them? Will the ministries stop if there's questions that I'm not able to answer in that moment? Uh, I mean, the church can't fail on my watch. Like, it has to grow. It has to be better, you know, than when I got here. I like all these anxieties of, of I need to be busy. I need to be working And all of this comes to the surface when I simply like, I'm gonna sit and read my Bible today. If I'm not careful, if I neglect pausing to worship, if I, like Judas, am focused on spending resources, my work and my activities can less, they can start to have less and less to do with what Jesus is calling me to do. And more and more to do with my own agenda and my own needs. Stopping to worship Jesus, stopping to enter into Sabbath in in a worshipful manner exposes the things in my life that I think are more important or more urgent. Stopping to enter into Sabbath as worship exposes the idols in my life. Why do I share this? I'm not asking for sympathy or a pity party. I'm not trying to convince anybody how hard my job is or how hard pastoring is. This isn't a posture of defensiveness. I share this because once I started to understand this pattern in my life, 
once God started working on my heart and helping me understand what I'm doing and why, I started seeing it in other people's lives as well. I've started to see the busyness, the activity, being competing with presence of God. It's unhealthy for Christians, it's unhealthy for the church. As a pastor, I have responsibility to not only model the Christian life, but to lead the church in worship of Jesus. And so many things go wrong when we don't do that, church. When we don't spend time worshiping Jesus, sitting at his feet, resting in his presence. If we don't consistently do that, then things go off track quickly. Yes, Jesus gave us all these resources. He gave us this mission to do this ministry. He gave us all these things to care for and to be good stewards of, and I take that very seriously, and I hope you do too. But just like Jesus said about the perfume, some of these resources, some of these things that God has given us, some of these things that we possess, time, talent, gifts, some of these resources are already dedicated for something else besides work. They're already dedicated for worship. And if we're spending them on work and busyness, then we're spending stuff that God has intended for worship, for rest, to acknowledge the presence of Jesus in our lives. And when we don't worship and when we don't serve Jesus through this Sabbath rest, we find ourselves worshiping and serving something or someone else. We find ourselves entering into idolatry. And it would be hard to even name it. It would be hard to, to call it that because it's not like it's one of these egregious sins that we see in the Bible. Oh, I'm, I'm doing these things that are just the worst. But it's subtle and it works its way in. And when I say like Sabbath worship, I don't mean singing songs for 30 minutes on Sunday morning, all of that's definitely worship, but I'm talking about worship as a broader category. Right? Worship as in stopping our own actions, putting down our own agenda, putting, uh, deprioritizing our own goals for a moment to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and that he's present with us. Doing that for an extended period of time, this is what the Bible calls Sabbath. And since God has helped me to see my own failures in practicing Sabbath, I now see it as a more chronic condition of the church and church culture. It seems that at times the church is addicted to activities that maybe keep us educated, keep us entertained, keep us comfortable. But those very same things can also keep us distracted from the presence of God. They can keep us from being still and worshiping. We read Christian books, we listen to Christian music, we can watch Christian movies, we participate in church activities, we can serve in church ministries, we can eat Easter breakfasts and other meals, we can enjoy those church potlucks, we can celebrate church events, fill up our days with all the church stuff. But the real struggle isn't doing activities. The real struggle is stopping to worship to be still, to rest, and to worship in the presence of Jesus. We have a tendency uh, to evaluate our faithfulness and our obedience based upon how much we do. Can you, do you feel that? Do you, do you acknowledge that? Do you see that? Like Our culture has informed us that what you produce is how much you are worth. And stopping to worship seems like a waste of time. 
How much more things could you do today if you weren't in church this morning? <laughs> Is everybody else in the world getting ahead right now? There's people that are working on their, their side job, their, their side hustle. There are people making money right now while you're sitting in a pew. We have a tendency to evaluate our goodness, our faithfulness, and our obedience based upon how much we do. And stopping to worship seems like a waste. If you remember back about two years ago, as the COVID precautions kind of started shutting things down, we were anxious. We had some hard conversations. Uh, I wasn't even part of First Church yet, but I can imagine that you guys went through the same thing that we did at my church that I was serving at previously. We had this idea that like something's happening, but we should be doing something. There was anxiety. I remember the board meeting. There was people like, well, if we can't do everything we've always done, maybe we just don't do anything. Like it was just, it was, it was anxious. There was anxiety. There was stress. There was differences of opinion. And the lack of things on our calendar made many of us anxious. I mean, are we being faithful? Are we being, are we, are we being a, the church if we're not doing X, Y, and Z? And now that the most severe days of COVID uh, seem to be moved in the past, but if you, if you think about kind of how we transitioned out of that, kind of that time we were forced to be still, there was a great deal of anxiety again for some of us to get busy, to fill up the calendars again. Uh, it became obvious that our sense of being good and our sense of being faithful was tied to our sense of being active. And that's not a bad thing, it's just something that we need to be aware of, right? God calls us to remember though that the Sabbath and was his idea. His command is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, keep it set apart, keep it uh, uh, something special. It's a command, not just an advice, but it's a command to stop, rest, and worship. So being faithful, yes, is all the activities, it's all the busyness, it's all the ministries, it's all the things that we're called to do, but it's also being faithful is being called to stop and to worship. Sabbath is not about resting so you can work hard again. It's not about refilling the tank so you can go grind for another day or another week. It's about worshiping so that your work is faithful to your calling. Sabbath is about spending time with Jesus so that when you go to work, you are oriented on the right mission. So you are oriented on what Jesus is calling us to do. We have this next slide. This is what I want us to walk away with today, to, to know this. If we don't stop to worship and commune with Jesus, our work will be based on what we desire to do rather than what Jesus is calling us to do. And we can have the best intentions, we can have the best goals, we can have the best ambitions, but without a regular connection with Jesus, at some point, it will become our mission instead of Jesus' mission. At some point, it will be our goal rather than what Jesus is calling us to do. Activity isn't bad. I'm not telling us to go be like monks that sit up in, in monasteries up in the mountains and, and don't say anything for years on end and they're like, we're not supposed to do that. Like I'm, not, that's not, I'm not criticizing activity. But activity that isn't the result of time spent in Sabbath and worship of Jesus will be based on our own agendas rather than what Jesus is calling us to do. Sabbath worship reorients our work in the direction that Jesus would have it to be. And if Sabbath isn't about worship, it simply gets put into the service of our own agendas or the idols of our own culture. Right? If, if we don't commit to having uh, something 
relating to Jesus in our Sabbath time, we will fill it with mission for other stuff. If you work a job that's five days a week with two days off and, and, and you don't have a commitment to worship Jesus in one of those days, then both of those days will be filled up with some other agenda. And it could be good stuff. It could be family time. It could be uh, exercise. It could be, you know, work around the house that you need to do. It might be charity work. I don't know what it is. But at some point, if we're not connected to Jesus, it becomes our agenda and our mission. And if Sabbath isn't about worship, it simply gets put into the services of our own agendas and the idols of our cultures. Our culture will tell us that rest is wasted time, that worship is distraction from our own goals. Our own agendas, our own anxieties, our own desires will drive us into activity, will drive us into busyness. Even exhaustion and burnout will result. We can be working hard, we can even be working hard on church things, on Christian things, but still be trying to serve our own desires and the idols of our culture. So just like Judas who followed Jesus in order to achieve his own goals, we can find the church or the Christian faith as a mean to achieve our own goals or to serve our idols. The thing that makes the difference is whether or not we can worship Jesus, whether or not we can stop building kingdoms long enough to sit still in the presence of Jesus and worship him. Can we dump this perfume out, these valuable resources that God has given us, can we dump it out at the feet of Jesus and worship him and not see that as a waste? Can we commit to a day of prayer, of worship, communion with God and not feel like we are wasting our time? Can we sit still and know who God is? Can we surrender our desires, agendas, and idols long enough to sit at the feet of Jesus and spend time attending to his presence amongst us? For the past several weeks as we've gone through Lent, we've talked about spiritual disciplines. This week's spiritual discipline is Sabbath keeping. Sabbath as an act of worship. And so the invitation for us today is to commit to and plan regular Sabbath for worship. Sabbath and worship will not happen by accident. It won't happen without a plan. We will fill our time with our own agendas and our own desires or we will have our time shaped by cultural idols and cultural ideals if we aren't committed to worshiping Jesus. Especially if you serve at the church or serve in the church. If you're working today, volunteering in ministry, you know, working with children, you're part of the worship team, you're preaching the message, whatever it might be, like it's harder to rest at the feet of Jesus if you are serving other people in the church. And so I'm not saying don't serve, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying just saying like if you are involved in serving in ministry, then you need to make sure you have a plan and you have a commitment to rest at the feet of Jesus. Keeping a regular Sabbath forces us to confront our own anxieties, our own ambitions, while helping us reset our focus on following Jesus. If we are unable to pour out that perfume at the feet of Jesus that reveals uh, a little bit about what our priorities are, that reveals about what we're, our mission is. And so Mary is the example of stopping and worshiping Jesus. And it reveals the idols 
the other plans, the other agendas, the other things that we can serve.